A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, said he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and to the sea. Because the devil has gone down to you, he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. past few weeks we've been looking at Joseph in Genesis. I think it's like Genesis 37 through 50. We've been looking at Joseph, and specifically we've been looking at this idea of dreaming and doing. We said that, and Joseph has been our example, we said, God spoke to Joseph through a dream, and that dream set the course for the rest of Joseph's life. And we said the primary purpose of that dream was for Joseph to recognize his role in God fulfilling God's promise to Abraham, who was Joseph's great-granddad. To Abraham in Genesis 12:3, God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And then God spoke to Joseph through a dream to say, this is your part in my fulfillment of that promise to your family. Remember we said that, and last week we looked at opposition and temptation and despair and said those are roadblocks that can get in the way of us fulfilling this dream, things that can keep this dream from becoming a reality. We kind of bump into these things, and a lot of times we just stop. We don't know what to do when we meet resistance, and so a lot of times we just stop, and we looked at Joseph and said one of the things about God is he's able to take all of that stuff all of these obstacles, this opposition, temptation. He's able to take all of that and use it to accomplish his purposes. He's, he, he uses that stuff to, to direct us, to equip us, to get us in the position to actually fulfill those dreams. You remember that Revelation 12 is another backdrop or another setting for the same thing going on. We can take Joseph and we can stick him into Revelation 12. And what I want to say this morning is you, we can stick each one of us into Revelation 12 as well. It's a highly symbolic picture of a very real war that's going on between the armies of heaven and the armies of hell. We know from Revelation, ultimately, God wins. You can just flip over a few pages if you're worried about that, and you can see. God wins, and it's really not 
a lot. He doesn't sweat a whole lot in the process. So that's a done deal, but it doesn't make the battle now any less real or any less fierce. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we read that God is patient. It says God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell, and so he's patient. He's given us this window to say yes to him. You just saw here the devil knows his time is short. He knows that window eventually is going to close. And so what he's doing is during the time that he has, he's taking advantage of God's patience. He's taking advantage of the fact that God wants as many people as possible to say yes to him. During that time when the window is open, he's wreaking as much havoc as he can. He's trying to destroy as many people, destroy as many lives, deceive as many people, keep as many people away from God as he possibly can in the amount of time that he's got. He knows he's going to lose, but that doesn't do anything except fire him up. You just read that. He's, he knows that the window is closing and he's going to do everything he can during that time to wreck as many lives as possible. So we've got, we've got Joseph here and we've got he has this dream and this dream is to help fulfill. The dream is his part in fulfilling this promise that God has made to Abraham. And if you go back and read the first few chapters of Genesis, like from 12 to 37, you can see, you can see this promise repeated to Abraham and repeated to Abraham's son Isaac and then to his uh, grandson Jacob and then to his great-grandson to Joseph. You see this promise repeated and you can see God working in the lives of Abraham and his wife Sarah and in Isaac and his wife Rebecca and Jacob and his wives Leah and Rachel and in Joseph and his brothers and in all these countless other people whose names we don't see. We see God working this plan. He's working things towards the completion of this plan, of this dream of this purpose that he has. So we have that on one side. On the other side, you heard the verse, this dragon, the devil, is enraged. And who is he? what does he decide to do? Make war on the offspring of this woman. And who are the offspring of this woman? Those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Does that sound like anybody you know? That's kind of where we are. That's not scary. That's just reality. So there's this cosmic battle going on, and we already know the outcome, but that doesn't change the fact that the battle is still real, very real, even though we already know the outcome. So the enemy, the devil, is at work trying to actively trying to undermine God's plans. I don't see a demon behind every difficulty. I think that's a cop-out. But you can look at Joseph's life, and you can see some of this raging that we read about in Revelation 12. How else do you explain 11 brothers who decide to kill their, young, their brother? 11 guys who say, we're going to kill our brother. That's demonic. Potiphar's wife's actions towards Joseph. You can see this raging of the enemy, the enemy trying to subvert this plan that God has, and he's doing it through Joseph. He's trying to take Joseph out, trying to get Joseph off course, trying to get, keep Joseph from doing the thing that God wants him to do, not because he cares about Joseph, but because he's trying to ruin God's plan. Joseph just happens to be on the battlefield. And the same thing is true of us. It's not necessarily that there's anything special about us. It's we just happen to be on the battlefield while the enemy and God are waging war. What I want us to see this morning is that we fit into this cosmic battle. The stuff that we've been talking about with God having a dream for your life and purpose and all that stuff, it actually matters and it matters in this context of Revelation 12. God has a plan, and for better or worse, his plan will be carried out through his people. Again, go back, you can read the Old Testament, and you see that. It's through very real people. Abraham, 
Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Joseph, Jacob, Moses, David, Samuel. People we don't know, people we do know. That's who he carries his plan out through. He doesn't just snap his fingers, clap his hands, send down a thunderbolt and things are done. He works through the lives of people. And for us, we need to figure out, we need to discover what our role is in that plan. Because again, there's a battle going on and there's only two sides. There's God's side and there's the enemy side. There's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. And you're one or the other. Either intentionally or by default, you're on one or the other. You're already on the battlefield. That's not the question. Nobody gets to sit on the sidelines. You're on the battlefield if you're alive. The question is, well, what are you doing? And the enemy's fine with you either doing the wrong thing or just not doing the right thing. Either one is fine with him. You can either be doing something that God doesn't want you to do, or you can just not be doing what God does want you to do. Either one accomplishes the same objective. It keeps you from working out your part of God's plan. So that's what I want us to look at today. And I want to start by kind of working on some of this terminology that I've been using, this idea of God having a dream for us. That's kind of fuzzy, and you might think, I've never had a dream in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. If, if I had a dream like Joseph, I'd be on the way. Help me. Give me something here. That doesn't, that's not how God speaks to you. That's not how you've ever experienced the Lord. And so you don't know. The dreams you have are just weird. They don't have anything to do with God trying to speak to you. And let me give you a few verses. This is all different terminology that means the same things. These are all synonyms. They're going to be up on the screen behind me. Jeremiah 29, 11, we looked at this verse several times. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Genesis 37.5, Joseph had a dream. Exodus 3.4, God called to him from within the bush. Matthew 6.10, this is Jesus during the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, he's talking about God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of those words, plan, good works, dream, calling, God's will, all of those mean the same thing. This idea that God has got something, that he's got a deal for us. And there's kind of two things I want you to see in the verses. One is that it's God's the originator. It begins with him. It's God has plans for us. God has created good works for us to do. God spoke to Joseph through a dream. God called to Moses. It's God's will that's done. He's the originator. He's the architect. He's the however, instigator. Whatever you want to say, it starts with him. We discover he determines. It's not, you, it's not up to any of us to determine what our role is in this cosmic thing going on. We just have to discover it. God's already set it up. Remember, we talked about this several weeks ago. This is where trust comes into play. If you can believe that God created you how he said he did in Psalm 139, I think it's 13 to 16, that he took the time to knit you together, then you can trust that what he has determined for you will suit you perfectly. I mean, we talked about that. What he wants for us fits. It's not burdensome. It, it fits who we are. It fits our strengths and our temperament and our personality and our life. It fits all of those things. He determines, we discover. The second thing to see is that we have a responsibility. I'm not sure that's the right word. I couldn't think of a better one. We have a responsibility in this. The plans are for us. The good works are for us to do. The dream was Joseph's role. The calling was for Moses to do something. God's will is done on earth, not just in heaven, where we live. We have a responsibility. We determine, he determines, we discover, but then we have to do. We discover and we do, he determines. And so that's 
kind of where we start. Let me give you a few other ways to look at this. I'm going to beat this horse to death, so just get on board with that. 1 Peter 2.5 says this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You see both of those things again. God is the architect. He's the builder. It's his house. We're the bricks. We've got a part to play. I'm a brick. You're a brick. We're all bricks. And God is putting us together into this spiritual house for what? For us to be a holy priesthood. That's the plan. He's trying to create a holy priesthood. And the Bible priests are mediators or go-betweens between God and people who do not know him. They're the link between those two things. We've said that God's desire is to create a people for himself. He is working as hard as he can to gather as many people as possible into his family and then to make those who he gathers in as much like Jesus as possible before the end comes. He wants us all to have the family likeness, the family resemblance. That's what he's doing. That's the house that he's building. It's this family that he's creating, and he needs priests. He needs people who can mediate, who can go between him and people who do not yet know him. That's our job. He's the builder. We're the bricks. If we start pulling bricks out of this wall, it's not too long before the whole thing crashes down. The wall, the building is much bigger than any one brick. It's bigger than 10 bricks, 12 bricks. But you start pulling them out, the thing's going to get weak and eventually it's going to crash. That's the picture. You're a brick in this house that God is building. Another picture. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you're the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. I'm on a basketball team and I'm the worst player on the team. I'm the, or I'd say this. I'm the least skilled player on the team. That sounds better than worse. So I'm on this team, and I was asked by someone who's kind of a bulldog, and he's hard to say no to. So I've been on this team, and I said yes, and it's been good. And I've found my niche on this team. Several of the guys on our team are in this room, and they, if they were being honest, would say, yeah, he's probably the least skilled guy on the team. Never played organized basketball in my life. Maybe, I think I might have played when I was eight at Lawrence Street for like one like three-month period through the Cobb wreck, but never have I played organized basketball. I used to play pickup basketball every weekend with my friends. We played all the time, but it's completely different. One, I was 17 years old, and I was kind of fast, I was kind of quick, and I could jump kind of high. Now I'm 33. I'm not fast, I'm not quick, and I haven't jumped in a long time. I wear uh, running shoes, and somebody said, are you concerned you're going to turn your ankle? And I said, no, I don't jump high enough to turn my ankle. I'm not worried about that. At all. The things that I used to bring to the table, I don't bring to the table anymore. And so I've found my niche. I'm the scrappy guy on the team. That's I hustle. That's what you do when you don't have a lot of skill. You hustle. And so that's, that's kind of my role on the team. I try to get rebounds and steals. I try to get in the other team's way and stay out of my team's way. That's how I would, de- that's how I would describe my job. Now, we have guys on our team who are good scorers, and we have guys who are good shooters, and we have guys who are real strategic. I've never played in a set defense in my life. When we played pickup, it was you guard me and I'll guard you. They're running two threes and three twos, and and I'm just, tell me where to go and tell me how big my circle is. Never played where you run an offense. You dribble, you pass, you shoot, you rebound. No, we're putting guys in high posts and pick, pick away. I hear pick away. 50 times a game, I still haven't figured out what that means. So I'm just kind of running around, trying to stay out of the way on offense, trying to get in the way on defense. And I'm good with that. Doesn't bother me at all. It, I have no pride in my basketball abilities at all. No, it doesn't bother me. 
at all to say, because I know where I fit. On the, it would be a mistake for them to let me be the point guard and bring the ball up. It would be a mistake for them to look to me and say, what defense should we run? It would be a mistake for them to run plays for me to try to... It, that's not what I'm good at. Any of those things would be... That's not my role. I'm on a team and I have a job. And the other people on my team also have jobs. And when we all do our job, things work pretty well. And when we don't, things don't go well. And my job is not very glamorous, but it's still important. And that's this picture that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body. We all have a job, and there are things that I'm good at, and those are the things that I need to do. There are things God has enabled me to do, and I need to do those things. And there are things he has not enabled me to do, and I certainly don't need to do those things. It's going to be bad for everybody. And there might be part of me that wishes I could do those things, but I've got to get over that because that's not who God has made me to be. And actually, I'll be happier and more fulfilled if I'll do the things that he's created me to do because remember what we talked about. He's put me together. He knows me. He knows me. I don't want to be the guy shooting free throws with two seconds left when it matters. I don't want to be that. And I'll never be that guy. They're not going to give me the ball. And it works. Like, it works. Who I am, and, and all, it all works because God knows me. And the same thing is true in the kingdom. He knows you, and there's a place for you. And it might not... It's whatever it is, but there is a place for you. And if you'll do what God wants you to do, we win and lose together. Our team has won four games, and we've all won them together. And we've lost one game, and we lost that one terribly together. It's, it's all or nothing. And the same thing is true in the body of Christ. We're in this thing together, just like your physical body. If your back hurts, your whole body is miserable, not just your back. And if things are good, then all of you is good. Not just one part of you. You've got a, a role. There's a, there's a slot for you that's created just for you. And if you'll do that, those are the things God has enabled you to do. Then things run really smoothly. A couple of more. Isaiah 58, 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. We've talked about this a few times. This can be a little confusing, but try to stay with me. In the Old Testament, walls were used for protection. If me and my people develop this little community and we want to protect ourselves, we're going to build walls to keep the bad guys out and to keep our stuff in. Walls provided protection and they allowed good things to flourish inside. And we've kind of taken that concept and said, spiritually, there are walls in our community. And ideally, they should keep evil out and they should allow good to flourish within. But a lot of the walls are broken. And Isaiah here, this is a promise. He says, you will, that's us. He's speaking in the future. You guys will be the folks who repair these broken walls. And we've kind of grabbed onto that idea. And we've said there's seven walls, and these aren't ones I've made up. I can't go through all of the kind of the, the background of this. It takes too long. But the seven walls we've said are church, family, education, media, arts, and entertainment. That's one. Business, the government slash legal sphere, and arts. No, oh, science and medicine. Those are the seven major walls that we've said that those things, those centers of influence, whatever you want to call them, function in each community. And ideally, they function in a way to protect the people who live in that community from evil and to allow good to flourish within that community. But if we were honest, a lot of those walls have broken down. And I think Many of us are drawn to a particular wall. When you heard me run through that list really fast, there might have been one that made you say, yeah, that's, that's me. 
Like for me, it might be the church with a capital C, not Stonebridge, but the church with a capital C. And ideally, the church should be a source of blessing for the community. But our churches in general are divided. We're divided along racial lines, economic lines, theological lines, denominational lines. We're not really that much of a blessing to the folks who live in our community. I might say, you know what? My job is to help build that thing back a brick at a time. That's part of what I do. That's my wall. And you might feel drawn to one of those or another. Last picture. This is from the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Some of you, the idea of a wall, that doesn't click. How about this? The idea of all nations, the the thinking underneath that is ethnicities. The idea is that everyone should be able to hear the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. So nations are not United States, Mexico, Canada, Saudi Arabia. That's, those are our political boundaries. When What God is talking about is really people groups or tribes. Each tribe needs to hear the gospel in a way that they say, yes, I get that. I understand that. So within the United States, we got tons of tribes. And some of you are drawn to a particular tribe. It's homeschool moms or fat men who ride unicycles or people in your office or people who play softball or it's some slice of it's some slice of life it's it's some tribe that's a distinct unit and you say those are my people and you have a heart for them Bo was talking about the having a heart for the things that God has a heart for and you say man those are my people I want to be a missionary in a sense to those people I want to pastor them I want to be a source of blessing to them I want them to live their life fully and wonderfully and all of those things and and that's what gets you excited. When you think about things, you think about a group. It's faces that come to your mind. It's not a wall. It's not an army. It's not a team. It's people. You're seeing people, and that's your tribe. All of the, It's all the same thing. I've just said the same thing for 25 minutes. God has a deal for you, whatever you want to call it. You can call it a purpose. You can call it a plan. You can call it a destiny. You can call it a dream. I don't care what you call it. I'm going to call it a deal. God has a deal for you. And we have a responsibility to live that deal out. You can see yourself as a missionary to a tribe. You can see yourself as a brick in a wall. You can see yourself as someone who rebuilds a wall. You can see yourself as part of a... I don't care how. It doesn't matter. Whatever clicks for you. It's all the same reality. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to do this deal. If not, flip back to Revelation 12. That's what we're in. There's someone actively opposing you doing your deal. And again, there's not a demon behind every rock. There's, sometimes there's just stuff, and that's life, and we just need to get through it. But sometimes there is a demon behind the rock. We have an enemy who has a plan that runs counter to God's plan, and his, part of his plan is to get you off the deal. Just don't do the deal, and he's good. Again, you can be doing somebody else. I can try to be a scorer. doesn't matter. Enemy doesn't care. Just don't do what you're good at. Don't do your deal, and he's fine with that. Then God's purposes are held back. Ultimately, God's going to get what he wants. We see that. So it's not that everything hinges on us, but we're really important in this whole thing. Genesis 39, 3, and then verse 23 both say the same thing. The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord gave Joseph success in everything he did. So we've got this deal, and we're supposed to do it. The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord gave Joseph success in everything he did. What I want you to see is that God gives Joseph success. It's not about us flexing our muscles and coming up with these plans and going out and making things happen. That's not what I'm talking about. 
God gives success. But notice what he gives success to. Everything Joseph did. God gave success to the things Joseph did. Which means to me, the way I understand that, is if Joseph doesn't do anything, God can't give him success. Both of these times, verse 3 and verse 23, occur when, God, when Joseph is taken to Potiphar's house and then when Joseph is taken to jail. So in both of them, he's in a bad situation. He's not where he thinks he should be. And what we read is God gave Joseph success in everything he did. If Joseph had been a baby, and if he had whined and complained and griped because nobody was bowing down and worshiping him like the dream said, and if he said, I'm, not, I'm better than this, I'm not going to, whatever servants did in Egyptian homes, I don't know what they did, but he said, I'm not doing that, I'm better than that. And he sat in his room and pouted. There's no success for Joseph because he's not doing anything. There's nothing for God to bless. There's no way God can bring success to Joseph because Joseph isn't doing anything that God can bring success to. It's both. God's the one that brings us success, but he needs some material. And the material is us doing something. And so the stuff that Joseph did, God blessed, which allowed God to move Joseph into the position that ultimately we see him in, the second in charge of this empire. And again, we said it's not about us being great at all. It's about God fulfilling this plan, this purpose that he has, and using us, us kind of getting in our slot. Some of us, we're not doing anything. And we're not doing anything because we're really busy and we've got too much other stuff going on. Some of us aren't doing anything because we're scared. We're scared we're going to do the wrong thing. But it's kind of this vicious cycle. We don't do anything, so there's nothing for God to bless, so we don't see anything, so then that causes us to sit there and say, well, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. And it's just kind of this cycle that feeds on itself. If we'll start moving, we talked about this a few weeks ago, if you'll find someone to serve, if you'll just start moving out, even if it's the wrong direction, then that gives God something he can bless. And maybe he won't. And then you'll know, I'm going in the wrong direction. And this is my opinion. I think God would rather you go in the wrong direction with the right heart than just sit there. He can fix that once you start moving. If we're doing stuff, then there's something God can bless to give success to. And again, it's not about success for us. It's about, for Joseph, it was accomplishing God's purposes and the same things for us. It's about winning this war that we're in and all of us doing our part. So this is what we're going to do. At the end of each row, there should be index cards and pens. If, you, if you're at the end of the row, end of the row, end of the row, if you grab an index card and a pen and pass the rest down. Bo, you can come up, whoever you got. This is what we're going to do. The instructions are going to be behind me. You can throw those up there, Jillian. All right, this is what I want you to do. On the front of that index card, I want you to write your deal, whatever it is. As much as you know or as little as you know. But it's got to fit on the front of the index card. Write, write your thing. And if you don't know for the love, don't write anything down. Just don't. It's fine. Don't make something up. That's not helpful for anybody and it's going to make you feel guilty. So just if all you know is three words, then just write down three words. Whatever they are. Everything I just talked about for half an hour. Happy birthday, Maggie. So... Yeah, the dream, the plan, the whatever it is. That's what I want you to, however you understand it. Your people, if there are people for you, if it's the wall, 
Whatever you feel like, this is the thing for me. This is my role. I don't know how else to say it. I'm, I'm saying the same thing in a lot of different ways. That's what I want you to write down. Then in the bottom, I think I said left corner of your index card. I want you to write a number between 1 and 10 and no fives. Fives are for sissies. I want you to write down a number how strongly you feel like, yes, I, this is it. If, you got, I'm, if you're shooting in the dark, then it's a 1. If you're like 100% confident, I know this is why God has put me on the earth, it's a 10. In the bottom right corner, I want you to write how actively you're engaged in that. A 1 is, I don't even think about it. Never crosses my mind except when you keep talking about it, then that's a 1. If it's, I'm living this dream on a regular, then that's a 10. And then on the back of the card, I want you to write one thing you can do this week. Give God something to bless. Give Him something where He can give you success. Maybe He won't, but I guarantee you He won't if you're just sitting there. So just think of, what, like if I said my wall is the church, like if let's just say that's my deal, it's not, but let's just say that's what I say. My wall is the church, and I feel like my job is to help build that thing up. Then I might say, well, what have I done? Well, I've connected with associate pastor at First Pres, and we've eaten lunch together, and that's a brick. And I've had him come preach here, and that's a brick. And we did worship on the square. We supported that, which was, I don't know how many churches were involved, and that's a brick. And I'm doing, going to something in a few weeks called Unite Atlanta, and that's a brick. And so I might say, this week, I'm going to connect with the pastor of First Baptist Church. I've tried, and I've, I've dropped the ball on that. So if that's what I'm going to do this week, I'm going to try to go to lunch with him. That is not earth-shattering. It's lunch. So you don't need to write down you're going to save everybody in your office by Friday at 5. One thing, it, it can be this big, but something that you can, something you're actually going to do. Nothing that's going to make you feel guilty when I bring it up next Sunday. So I want, Bo's going to kind of sing this, he's going to sing a song and it's a prayer and he's going to sing and y'all are going to be quiet and fill those out. I'm going to sit down and fill mine out. And then there's a basket right over there and when we leave, I want you to put it in the basket. You don't have to write your name on it. I'm, I, I don't know what your handwriting looks like. I'm not going to figure it out. We pray Tuesdays at 7.30, and this is what we're going to pray about this Tuesday. We're going to pray that the things on the front would become reality and that the things on the back, that we would do those things this week. So Bo's going to sing. I'm going to pray, then Bo's going to sing, and then I'll come back up when the song's over and dismiss us. Everybody clear? Okay, let me pray. God, you, do, you determine and we discover. And so I pray that we would discover in the next few minutes what it is, what's the deal. You know, some people know the first layer and not the second, and I pray you give them the second. Some people don't know the first, and I pray you'd show that to us. I pray this would not be a source of frustration or guilt for anybody, but it would be something that's encouraging and exciting and inspiring, God. There, there is this cosmic thing that you're doing, and you include little old us in this great cosmic plan. And God, we just want to do, we want to do our deal because you've created us for it. So I pray that you would speak to us now, that we'd be honest with you, we'd be honest with ourselves, and that this week we would all begin to take some steps towards actually doing these things that we've been dreaming about.
Don, stand up. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll be done. God, we do... Um, Lord, I do pray that we be encouraged uh, today by the, the reality that you include us in what you're doing. And I pray you just show us what you're doing, what we need to be doing, and then you give us the grace to do that. Whatever our slot is, our deal is, our people, whoever, however we understand that, I pray it will become more clear this week and that you would, um, we would take advantage of the opportunities that you give us to do something. And God, I pray that you would give success. I pray for people who've been frustrated for a long time, that this week they would see some tangible measure of success, some tangible sense that they're walking in the right direction and that you are blessing what they are doing. God, I pray uh, your hand would be on us all this week. We'd have a, a good week full of grace and love. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all I got.